Hello everybody, welcome to episode 24 of our series on the book of Romans and today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 13 verses 1 to 7. In chapter 12 uh, Paul has just been talking about how we are to relate to one another as Christians and how we are to relate to people in society who are treating us badly and now he comes to the topic of how to relate to authority authorities in society. So just a few pointers on how best to use this video. I would say that you should avoid watching it before your life group Bible study because we want you to get into the habit of finding out together what the Bible says about things rather than what Trevor and I are saying the Bible says about things. Once you study the passage together at Life Group, of course, you can always go back and recap and consolidate by watching the video and check to see whether our answers measure up with Scripture. When your Life Group meets, use the passage to answer the questions. Don't give in to the temptation to answer with your own opinions and ideas. We want to find out what this passage says. And so I will try to start the questions that should be answered from the text with appropriate words like, for example, in the text, blah, 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 or from the text. Some of the questions will require you to have some background general knowledge, which isn't found in the text, and others may call for your personal uh, reaction to what Paul is teaching. And obviously you won't find those answers in the text, although the answers may well be implied. And if someone has been appointed to facilitate your study, he will have watched the video beforehand and can help to keep the group focused and moving in the right direction. And he may also fill in some of the answers that the group has missed. But if you're using the video rather than having a member lead the study, then just answer the questions as a group, um, pause the video and then start again. So first of all, we need to get the ball rolling. So what I would suggest you do is in a moment, just pause this video and read Romans 13, one to seven together, and then use those questions one to five as a basis for your discussion. And then once you've done that, we'll get back together again and have a look at some answers. Welcome back. So let's, let's have a look at some of the answers. Um, the first question was from the text, what is the main thing that Paul requires of Christians? And it's very clear there in verse 1. It is that Paul requires every Christian to submit to governing authorities. And then question 2 was about your own personal reaction. I wish I could, be, could have been a fly on the wall just to see what people were saying. I'm sure it would be pretty similar to some of the things that I would have said as well. What about the governing authorities at the time? Well, these were those that were appointed by the Roman Empire. So at the peak of the triangle, there was the emperor, Caesar himself, and then all the different roles and authorities that cascaded down from him. In our time, it's the government of Zimbabwe, those who are employed and appointed by the government of Zimbabwe um, to exercise authority. So that's in the police, 
in the army, the municipalities, the revenue authority, the dreaded Zimra, uh, the legal system, national parks, so on and so forth. Then we asked ourselves the question, well, what does this submission actually look like? Unfortunately, Paul gives us some idea. He gives us some guidelines. So in verses 6 and 7, we see that submission entails paying taxes. Jesus also backed this up because some of the Jewish governing authorities came to him one day trying to trip him up and they asked him whether the Jews should be paying taxes to Caesar because the Jews hated the Romans. The Roman Empire did not exist to serve the Jews. The Roman Empire existed to serve the Roman Empire and a few very privileged people at the pinnacle of the empire. But Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, in other words, pay taxes to Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. So that's in Matthew 22, verse 21. What about Jesus himself um, in his own personal life? Well, there was this time when the authorities from the temple came and asked Jesus and some of his disciples to pay the temple tax. And, and Jesus said to, to his disciples, do you think the Son of God is exempt from paying a tax that is due to my father? And they said, yes, of course, he is. But Jesus then went on to say, in spite of that, I'm not going to cause offense. We're going to pay this tax. And if you want to find out how he did it and how he raised the money, you should go and read it in Matthew 17, 27. He uses a very novel method. Maybe some of us should, should try that as well. Folks, it's very easy for us to justify not paying taxes because our taxes are abused. And if they're not abused, then they are certainly used very inefficiently. However, when you think of the taxes that were levied by the Roman Empire, they were not used for the primary benefit of the Jews. In fact, they benefited a very small percentage of the population in the Roman Empire. And then when you think of the temple authorities that were asking Jesus to pay the temple tax, they abused that money. That money which was raised in order to run the temple, it was definitely abused. They were lovers of money. They used the temple as a massive money, money spinning machine. And that's why Jesus got so angry when he threw over the, the, the tables uh, and, and, and drove the people out of the temple who were buying and selling in the temple. I found that it can be very tempting to find all sorts of reasons to justify breaking the law. But sometimes if I'm honest with myself, the real reason is that obeying the law is simply inconvenient or costly. And we also think that probably we won't get caught. Folks, it's one thing to refuse to pay your city of Harare rates. But are you making a plan to improve things using that money which otherwise would have gone to the city of Harare? I mean, for example, are you putting aside to repair potholes in your street? It's very easy for us to say, ah, oh, the city of Arari is abusing the money. I'm not going to pay my rates. And then we just pocket the money and use it for a holiday or something else. But we need to make sure if we're going to break the law, 
and, and we'll get onto this a little bit later. I'm not, actually not going to get into it now. So we often break the law and it's simply for our own selfish reasons. So that's one of the ways that we submit to the governing authorities is by paying taxes. Another way, verse 7, is by giving respect and honor. And then, of course, obedience to what is required by the law that is implied by this passage. That's one of the ways that we submit to, to authority is by obeying the law. So just to sum up this section, the general requirement of this passage is that we submit to governing authorities and we've clarified who the governing authorities are and what that submission actually looks like. But does Paul give us reasons for submitting to governing authorities? So what I'd like you to do is to answer the next question together from the text. Why, according to the text, according to the passage, should we submit to governing authorities? And see if you can get, get all the reasons. He, he gives a, an abundance of reasons here. I counted five. Welcome back. Um, let's have a look at the reasons why we should submit to governing authorities. The first reason is given in verse 1. It says, For there is no authority except from God. So God is the origin of all human authority. Those who have authority over us have it because God gave it to them. And God is going to hold them accountable for the way in which they use or abuse that particular authority. What did Jesus say to Pilate? Jesus answered Pilate, this is in John 19, 11, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. So God is the origin of all human authority. Second reason why is that God has instituted existing civil authorities. Look at the second part of verse 1. And those that exist, those governing authorities that exist, have been instituted by God. You see, God uses human institutions to govern human affairs, and he delegates the power and the authority that is necessary to make that governance possible. Now, you might be wondering whether these things are taught elsewhere in the Bible. Well, there's this parallel passage. You could turn to it if you wanted to in 1 Peter 2 verses 13 to 17, uh, which says almost exactly the same thing. So both Peter and Paul and presumably the other apostles taught this requirement of submission to authority. So God is the origin of all human authority. God has instituted existing civil authorities and then Paul takes it a step further. And the third reason that he, he gives is that God has appointed those in authority. Verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now, you're probably battling with this. And, and I battle with it as well. Is, and you're just thinking to yourself, is there some sort of evidence elsewhere in the Bible? I mean, Scripture interprets Scripture, right? 
Is there evidence elsewhere in the Bible that God has appointed those who are in authority over us here in Zimbabwe, just as it was the case back in Roman times? Well, if you read in the Old Testament, there was this Persian king called Cyrus and a Babylonian king called Nebuchadnezzar, and they are described in the Bible as God's servants. They were God's servants to carry out God's purposes for the Jewish people. We see this in Isaiah 45 verse 1 and Jeremiah 25 verse 9. And in some cases, they exercised their authority in an evil way. And God would hold them accountable for that as well. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever picked up from Isaiah that God is described as being a whistler in the Bible. So Isaiah 5.26, that says that God whistles for these kings to come and punish Israel. Then there's another, uh, some more evidence. This is what God taught King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4 verse 17. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men's men. And then that concept that God appoints um, is repeated again in verses 25 and 32 in the same chapter. So God is the origin of all human authority. God has instituted existing civil authorities. God has appointed those who are in authority over us. The fourth reason why we submit to authority is to avoid judgment and God's wrath. Verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And here it is. And those who resist will incur judgment. Most of the commentators think that Paul is referring to the judgment of the human authority here. So if I commit murder, then I will experience the judgment of the legal system of Zimbabwe. But behind that judgment is actually a working out of God's judgment and wrath. We see that in verse 4b. For he, the person who's exercising human authority, is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And then in verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So there's the fourth reason why we should submit to avoid judgment and God's wrath. Fifth reason, in order to live without fear. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. If we want to live without fear, then we must do what is good and shun what is wrong. More on that later, the definition of right and wrong. Then the last reason, the sixth, is that we do it to live uh, with a clear conscience. It's not simply to avoid punishment. It's because we want to have a clear conscience before God. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. It's very important for us as Christians to live with a clear conscience before God. And we believe that since we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, that he has set us apart for God's purposes, that he has cleansed our consciences 
and we can use our consciences to help us know what is right and what is wrong before God. And sometimes we can disobey the law knowing that there's a good chance that we're not going to get caught, so we think that we're off the hook because we're unlikely to experience judgment and God's wrath, but then our consciences should be pricking us. Good. So we've discovered in this, in this text, isn't it amazing how rich God's word is? Six good reasons to submit to governing authorities. Now, if you're anything like me, you're probably feeling pretty uncomfortable when you think of the kind of people that we need to submit to in our government. So let's just have a look here at God's concept of authority by considering what Paul calls here, literally, the ministry of governing authorities. And Paul uses two different words here. He uses the one twice and the other one once to describe civil officials. And these words, when they're used elsewhere in the New Testament, are translated either as slave or servant or minister. And most of us would be familiar with the word deacon in the church from a church context. And that's the English word for diakonos, and that's used twice here to describe the role of a governing authority. So here's another question coming up. How does the text describe the ministry of a civil officer? What is it they do? What is their role? And I found three things. Welcome back from your time of discussion. Here are some answers for you. Verse 3b. If one is a minister in civil authority, then you are to commend those who do good. Verse 3b. Do what is good and you will receive his approval. So civil authorities are meant to commend and approve of what is good, to reinforce what is good. Then the second thing that they do is that they serve God for our good. He is God's servant, diakonos, for your good. Isn't that significant, folks? We should remember that when we are tempted to feel afraid of someone in civil authority. Just remind yourself, maybe as you come up to a police roadblock, this person, or may, he may not recognize it, but he is a servant of God for my good. Good. Just changes our perspective, doesn't it? Then the third answer um, for the ministry of someone who is in civil authority is to bring wrath on the wrongdoer. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So this is the, the idea that God has in mind for those in civil authority. And he will hold them accountable for this. We can't necessarily hold them accountable for it. And sometimes we are called upon by God to hold them accountable for it. That's what the whole system of democracy is about, where in theory we have the right to hold authority accountable for whether they are punishing what is wrong and promoting what is good and whether they are serving society for society's good.
What I'd like you to do now is to just discuss another question. Who defines right and wrong? Who defines what is good and what is bad? We've said that civil authority should promote what is good and come down hard on what is bad, but who defines it? Welcome back. Be interesting to have heard what your answer to that question was. But what, what I get from this passage is that it's God. It's God who defines what is right and what is wrong. And how do we get to this answer? Well, we infer it from the fact that God is mankind's ultimate source of authority. He is the authority behind every human authorities. And since human authorities wouldn't have authority unless God had given it to them, they should exercise their authority to punish bad and to promote good as God defines what is good and what is bad. So having established that, I've got another two questions. Surprise, surprise. Lots of questions in, in this evening's episode. First question, how should we respond if governing authorities require us to do what God forbids or if they forbid us to do what God requires? How should we respond to that? And, and can you come up with any biblical precedents to back up your answer of how we should respond? Welcome back. Here are some answers. Um, we need to obey what God clearly requires in the Bible. So if an authority is requiring us to do something that is forbidden in the Bible, then we should resist. If he is forbidding us to do something that is required in the Bible, then we should resist. And remember that we resist in such a way that we are demonstrating submission to God and not defiance of the government. We can still treat somebody as being worthy of respect and value by saying to them very respectfully, I'm sorry, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible requires of me. And you're forbidding me to do that. I have to obey God. And of course, the answer to the second question, there is lots of biblical precedent for this. Pharaoh told the Hebrew midwives that they were to kill the Hebrew babies when they were delivering them. They refused to do it. They found a way, they actually deceived Pharaoh, they actually lied in order to make sure that babies were being delivered in a healthy way. They were not going to do that because God forbids us to kill. Some other examples, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they were required by King Nebuchadnezzar to bow down in front of the statue that he'd made. They said, we're sorry, we'll do 
anything else that you require as long as it confirms, conforms to God's word. But this, this doesn't conform to God's word. We're not going to bow down in front of the statue and we'll take the consequences. Another example, the apostles, they were forbidden. If you look at Acts chapter 4 verse 19 and then Acts 5.29, they were forbidden by the Jewish authorities to preach the word of God. And they said to them, I'm sorry, we, we, we've, got to, we've got to carry on doing it. The Bible says God has told us that we must preach the gospel. And so who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to you or are we going to listen to God? However, don't forget that if it is a Christian that's done you an injustice, that we should follow Paul's teaching in Corinthians where we take that to the church first of all. Well, let's just tie everything up uh, with a bit of a conclusion here. Christians are to submit to governing authorities. That's what Paul teaches us here. What does that submission look like? We should pay our taxes, we should obey the law, and we should treat those in authority with respect. We've also learned that civil authority is to commend those who do good and serve God for our good and punish those who do wrong. However, since their authority comes from God, it's God who gets to define what is right and what is wrong. And so if civil authority forbids us to do something that God commands or the other way around, then we are to demonstrate submission to God, not defiance to the government. There's a slightly, slight difference in that. May it be clear that we're doing this not to defy the government, but rather to respectfully say that we submit to God as our primary authority because the authority that the government has comes from God himself. Well, I hope that this has been a useful discussion and learning time for you. And we look forward to being with you again in two weeks' time when we continue with this study. Goodbye for now.